You're listening to Two Smart Assets with Chris Thompson and Danny Nichols. This is your source for passive investing in real estate syndications. It's time for us to gain knowledge and take action. So let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. This is the Two Smart Assets Podcast. I am your host, Danny Nichols, here once again with my co-host, Chris Thompson. Hey, what's going on, Dan? It's good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. You're looking great. Had another great episode this week. Tell the listeners what we're talking about today, sir. Okay, so this week we brought in Ted Green. Uh, Ted is an investment advisor who now manages the investor relations group over at Spartan Investment Group. Uh, you know, we spoke, we spoke about uh, position sizing of investments for the average investor, uh, as well as uh, regulatory hurdles that uh, issuers and sponsors are going to deal with. And we also talked a little bit about what to do if your deal appears to go off track. He's got a lot of experience and he knows what he's talking about. A lot of great stuff in this episode. Super excited to jump into it. But before we do, just want to give a quick shout out to all our listeners. We really appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and written review. Really helps us grow the podcast, attract more guests, and ultimately provide better information for everyone listening. If you're a passive investor or or looking to get into passive investing, then head over to our website at twosmartassets.com. There you can grab our guide for passive investing in apartment syndications. Just a great introduction to the world of passive investing in apartment syndications. So make sure to check that out. Also, grab our apartment syndication sample deal. This is going to help you get comfortable with looking at this type of investment. So when the real opportunities come your way, you'll be ready. And if you have any questions about what's in either of these resources, drop us a line anytime on our website's contact us page. Or you can message us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We're posting some great content on there. So make sure to follow us and start connecting. All right, let's jump into the show. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is Ted Green. Ted has worked as an investment advisor for over 20 years with six of those being a chief compliance officer. He now manages the investor relations group over at Spartan Investment Group. While working in securities industry, he's gained familiarity with how the world's largest broker dealers handled private placement. And while, fun- and while functioning as a compliance officer, he was responsible for the due diligence and solicitation of private investment. Ted, it's great to see you, sir. Welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Uh, uh, glad to be here. Hello, everybody. It's fun to be with you today. Yeah, it's, uh, pleasure's all over here. We definitely appreciate you carving a little bit of your day out to uh, hang out with us and uh, you know spread some knowledge to uh, to all the listeners here. Uh, you know, let, let's take it back just a little bit and uh, talk to me a little bit about your background, how you got into real estate, and you know how you link, linked up with such a great company like Spartan. Yeah, so uh, I've known uh, Ryan, who is the co-owner of Spartan, uh, for three years. Um, I was working with Yield Street out of uh, Manhattan in New York. Um, they did some shuffles earlier this year uh, due to COVID and called Ryan and said, Ryan, I'm a free agent. And uh, so, you know, it was a match made in heaven and I, I'm really enjoying what we're doing here at Spartan. Yeah, Spartan uh, seems like a pretty cool company. You guys got a lot of things going on. Um, talk to us a little bit about what, uh, about, you know, Spartan and what is uh, the company's focus right now? Yeah, so uh, predominantly we do uh, self-storage syndication of self-storage. We're in the larger part of the smaller market, uh, which is, you know, small market is five to 50 million. Um, So we're right in the middle of that. Um, We're not 
quite competing with institutional money at the 45, 55, 60 million dollar level. Um, but we're a little bit uh, outside of what the mom and pop might typically try to take down. Um, we just got a purchase and sale today for um, something out of Arkansas that, um, yeah, it's a little bit bigger for for just a family to take down on their own. And uh, so anyway, it's it's um, RV parks uh, storage. Um, we've got one mobile home park in uh, the western side of uh, the state of Washington. It's the only mobile home park that's being built probably this side of the Mississippi. But uh, so anyway, that's that's our that's our core business. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, how's your background, you know, as a financial advisor uh, positioned you to succeed in your role as the investor relations manager over at Spartan? You know, yeah, that's a really interesting question. I, um, I think that a lot of uh, people who market private investments may be doing so with more of an appetite of, I just got to get this one done. Um, and they don't really, they haven't really seen behind the curtain by way of what the regulators are looking for, um, what institutional uh, family office groups and RIAs are looking for by way of a partnership with this indicator. Um, and the reality of it is, is that when you sound promissory or when you are promissory and you say things that are memorialized either in an email uh, or in a video or what have you, a lot of times those things can really come back to sting. And when those things happen, you end up hearing from the state regulatory body or the SEC. And I've seen enough of that, um, having the state uh, um, interview uh, myself several times for the due diligence packages on the private placements and and how the investment advisor was billing for the private placements. Um, I've just seen enough for that to know that you can't just go out and and just say all you need to do is write the check and sit back and and you know receive the the monthly flow. Right. Um, there, there's just there's just so much to it, uh, and this is a litigious world. Um, anyway, I, so I, I approach things back to your question. Uh, it's very prudent to approach things from an essence of not how much can I make, but how how bad can it get if if things go south? And if that's if that's where you start with your investor, if that's where you start uh, with yourself, uh, that's a good foundation to begin your due diligence process and then move forward from there. So, so to concisely answer your question, from a perspective of cautionary and, and okay, you know, how bad can it get and move forward from there? I think it's always pretty safe to err on the side of caution. You know, we plan plan for the worst, hope for the best. Uh, so I think that's that's pretty good. Um, you, you deal with uh, a lot of past investors. You know, you're talking about uh, memorializing things that can come back to get you. Um, you know, since you, you deal with past investors regularly, um, what are some of the more common concerns that you hear from these guys and, and like how do you alleviate those concerns and communicate the resolutions you know to those concerns yeah you know right now what we're experiencing is as i'll back up i you know uh, Ryan and myself and Jackie were out of the Seattle office for Spartan and the rest of the crew is based out of Golden, Colorado. Seattle for multifamily housing is experiencing a, you know, we're probably two standard deviations away from the norm currently by way of COVID. The very unfortunate situation that a lot of our, let's just, um, you know, tenants of multifamily you know, sometimes aren't in the highest tax brackets or even in the middle tax brackets. And so they're very affected by 
by COVID, can't pay the rent. Um, so, so right now we're hyper focused on, or we're experiencing interest in storage because investors that may have had an appetite for multifamily are wondering about the ease to own, maintain in a VIC uh, when it comes to storage. And it's a, it's just such a dicey and, and sensitive topic. But the reality of it is, the owners do have their capital at risk. Um, so anyway, back to the question. Uh, we're, we're seeing an influx, um, uh, an appetite for assets that are easy to own, evict, and maintain uh, in that storage. Um, so questions centered around the risk of my capital, the exposure of my capital, capital calls. You know, what happens if things just stop? Do people just stop paying? How long does the, does the unit stay uh, empty before we can auction the assets and get it out on the market? What happens if there's a capital call or the liabilities joint in several? You know, all these things are um, you know, scary to, to tie your assets up for three or four or five years. So, you know, working through the complexity of the asset to succinctly answer your question. Well, you know, we we love uh, self-storage. Uh, you know, there there's a couple things that we, that we uh, tinker around with a fair amount and, uh, you know, for uh, various reasons and mainly just their pure resiliency uh what do you think are some of the main reasons you know that self that you see self-storage being so resilient and like hanging around for i mean they show pretty good returns fairly consistently it's not a it's not a hollywood glamour industry um that, that being storage i mean you literally have like metal walls metal roofs uh, you know concrete but uh, the attractive uh, piece to it is that it is easy to own, evict, and maintain. Um, the cash flow does have a tendency to just continue if you can find pop pockets of the world. And you know, for us, we like shoulder geography or tertiary markets where you know it's not downtown Seattle where we're competing with an 800-pound gorilla. Rather, 25 or 30 minutes outside of a, a major city like Seattle. Uh, so if you can find demographic growth of 2%, uh, maybe there's a big um, fa uh, facility, a big corporation that's uh, close by that's growing. Uh, and, you know, these are all the ideal characteristics that we look for. But in every portfolio or, you know, Joe average or uh, June average for every typical investor, you've got to have some stocks, some bonds, some real estate, maybe some managed futures, um, uh, you know, a whole basket of assets that are hopefully non-correlated varying in maturity, varying in credit quality. And if you peel off two to seven percent of your liquid net worth and you park it in a self-storage asset, you're probably not going to tell your friends about it at New Year's Eve, you know, when you're having a, a drink. But at the same time, it's it's sturdy, it's it's durable, it's a hard asset. It's probably going to get turned over in four or five years. You might have an internal rate of return of 15%. That's a big $20 word that, you know, at a later time, an investor would want to you know, scratch your head on how that's calculated. Um, but it's just durable, I guess, to get to the point. You know, you brought up something uh, just, just in terms of like, uh, let's say like position sizing. And, you know, for investors, you know, a common theme is diversification and allocation. And 
for the average investor, it might not always be clear on what percentage uh, of their investing portfolio like should actually go into a particular investment vehicle. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about like position sizing, like why that's important, and you know where do the private investments fit in? So that that is such an it's a really intriguing um, question, and as we all know. Uh, concentrated positions build wealth, but diversified positions protect wealth. Uh, and at some point in life, every investor, you know, wakes up in the morning and they, they've begun to see the world just a little bit differently, where as opposed to getting their nest egg to double yet again, you know, at some point we get to the point where, you know, we start to tap the brakes and, and now we're not looking to own, you know, 2000 shares of Microsoft or we're not, I mean, you get the sense. I don't want to go too long in the tooth in that. And so, so to start to apply the question to a real life situation, you know, let's just imagine, um, you know, Joe average household, $2 million and, and they've come across a good, uh, private investment. Um, be it apartments, be it storage, you know, be it RV park, whatever. So the, the real goal from my perspective, and I say this routinely to investors and have over the years, is you know, if we're going to do this, success looks like at the liquidity event or at some point in the future, we look back and we think, wow, that worked out great. I wish we'd done more. Let's weave in a couple of unsuspected outcomes that can uh, that can really mess things up. You know, uh, what if the attorney that drafted the legal document does not have error and emission insurance? That ensures the project. So, in other words, any deal that we do, our attorney's E and O um, policy covers a lawsuit against us. Well, if a syndication doesn't, if they've poached a legal document somewhere else and they don't have an attorney that's got their insurance uh, covering the project, you know what happens if an investor is disgruntled and sues? You know, then the manager. Uh, I'm sorry. Then the limited partners. They've got to start ponying up to to fight off a, a litigation, uh, and you know they might lose the asset. So you never know those kinds of, you don't know that's going to happen until things like that happen. We had an RV park that got hit by a tornado in March when COVID hit around the same time that energy prices, you know, dropped through the floor. Now, now none of those three were on our radar, you know, late in 2019, you know, Spartan was not thinking about that late in 2019, yet all three happened. So the point being uh, to get real granular, there is nothing wrong with taking 2% of your liquid net worth to as high as 10% of your liquid net worth and putting it into an asset that you've done the appropriate amount of due diligence, knowing that the syndicator is really sharp. Let the idea cool for a couple of weeks at a bare minimum. There's, you know, the SEC has a 30 day cooling off period for a 506B non-accredited investor. So, you know, and that for good reason. So anyway, reasonable position size, a dollar amount that's important to you, but not is not going to set you into a panic if something like real life happens in an unfortunate happenstance. Um, you know, don't get too far over the tip of your skis. Our tip, our average, uh, and this is the mean average uh, ticket size here at Spartan is 175,000. That being said, about half of our tickets are fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. You know, so there there's three different definitions of mean, uh, mean, median, and um, frankly forgetful of the third mode. Pardon? Mode, mean, median, and mode. Quite possibly, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the, uh, yeah. The point. So the point is, you know, for, for the average investor, there is nothing wrong 
with a relatively small position size, if your net worth is $2 million, you know, why not stick with 50,000 bucks and diversify by asset class, uh, by duration, you know, number of years that this uh, investment is going to last. Wouldn't it be nice to have thought that through so that on an annual basis, somewhat annual, you've got positions that are coming up so that no matter the environment, you've got some cash coming due to work with. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, yeah, you got to bring up uh, some pretty good points there. Uh, I, I want to pivot just just slightly. You know, we we like the idea, you know, of being as it like active passive investors. You know, we we pursued uh, you know engineering and uh, engineering education. You know, so it's normal for us to want to really dig deeper. You know, into understanding the topics you know in which we're interested. In. And so as passive investors, you know, we want to know as much as we can uh, about the active side as well. And so in our eyes, you know, that just makes us it just aids in making better investing decisions, you know, um, when actually making those investments. Uh, I just want to take a little bit of time and dive into some of like the the regulatory hurdles that come with being a sponsor. You know, what are you running into day to day? It's a privilege to uh, to go out uh, into the world and come across an investor who we have no history with uh, and, you know, over time develop a relationship and then at some point care for their assets. Um, so to that end, the SEC, and briefly, let's just take a look back in time. Um, you remember the Great Depression was in uh, 1929. Right. Um, during that time, the stock market went down by 90%, 9-0. You know, that's a pretty big hit. So um, a couple of years later, uh, we have the Investment Investment Advisors Act of 1933 and a couple of subsequent acts in 34 and in 1940. A um, reason for that is in the late 20s, the stock market was going fantastic and there were entrepreneurs back then just as there are now. So legislation comes about when you get some, let's say, colorful, colorful characters who may mislead. Um, uh, and, you know, that was the case back then as it is the case currently. Uh, so there's the, the two typical exemptions from being listed as a publicly traded company. The two typical exemptions are uh, 506B and 506C. So from a regulator's perspective, if a fiduciary is going to market uh, 506B or 506D offerings, uh, that fiduciary must have done uh, an extensive due diligence file. And now with, uh, I think it was late in 2019 that the best interest contract came about for broker-dealers. Broker-dealers now have have a much higher bar to monitor and, and provide evidence to a regulatory body um, that they also have done more than just a deep dive on an asset uh, to ensure that this is in the best interest of the client or or a fiduciary. This is this is the best that we can find, and here's and here's why. So anyway, getting back to your question, you've got 506B and 506C exemptions. There is a recipe of things that have to come along with the legal documents so that the uh, exemption, so you don't, so the syndicator or the issuer doesn't lose the exemption. And again, the exemption is not having to do all the stuff that goes along with being a publicly traded company. You can still solicit an, an investment, but you don't have to be a publicly traded company as, as long as you follow the rules to the exemption. A couple of quick examples. In a 506B offering, uh, you can't go tell the world about a 506B offering if you're the syndicator. Uh, 
a reason for that. Well, let's not get into the reasoning because I could go on for 10 minutes and everybody will, will t- turn me off. A 506C offering a different recipe, um, but that's the kind of thing that you will see a syndicator talk about on LinkedIn. You know, hey, you know, here's this fantastic investment. Um, we're excited about it. Doesn't come without risk, but you know, here's the thing: we're doing it. You know, if you'd like to know more, reach out to us. So you can do that with a 506C offering. You cannot publicly advertise a 506B offering. It, it gets technical pretty quick, but um, you know, syndicators need to be uh, aware of, and they need to stay in their lane, whichever whichever of those two lanes they're in. Sure. Now, is there a, uh, let's just say, like, I guess, in your opinion, do you, um, like, we understand, you know, the basic differences between the 506B and 506C offerings. Uh, Do you have a preference or do you think one is better than the other? What do you think about that? Yeah. um, You know, from a a selfish perspective, uh, I would say that a B is more appealing to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And here's why. In the world of small market, large market, uh, institutional money in the in the large market, uh, assets are acquired more easily in a large market. You can publicly advertise and 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 draw in and attract more investors using a 506C offering. From the sheer um, awareness that returns are greatest where capital is scarce, what that means then is uh, the uh, you know the tipping point or the fulcrum right where you're getting just a little bit above where mom and dad or a family or a couple of friends can syndicate and grab some, raise some capital and go buy an asset, maybe a three, four or $5 million. When you're getting north of five, but below 25 or 30, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that if you raise 30 or 40% equity, you can finance the difference. 506B, you're going to find more 506B offerings in that category. And generally your edge, and that's a, a stock market term, but your, you know, the value that you're bringing to the table in that in that upper part of small market that's not publicly advertised, you're just going to have a bigger edge uh, uh, in, in that market. I could go on and on and on. So, so I first walked walked into Merrill Lynch in 1991 and started an internship, um, uh, which which led to uh, a you know a decade plus of of doing that. And the one thing that I've realized about investors is that investors are um, are very very shrewd. They really are, and it's the pit of the tummy meter. Uh, they might they may not understand everything that I say. The you know the peg ratio, the PE ratio, the cap rate, all the jazz. They may not really understand all of that, but, but they do understand the pit of the tummy meter and whether or not you know what you're talking about. You're confident in what you're doing, and over time, if you can get a non-accredited investor or the small er account to to come along with you and just start to grow with you over time over decades people will grow with you so a 506b offering it's a little bit more litigious um, not litigious it's a little bit more work you can't publicly advertise it you can't go grab the the five million dollar investor guy let me say that differently it's a little bit more difficult to go find the five million dollar investor guy with a 506b offering because you can't publicly advertise however you take care of, of joe average who's not accredited and by the way in a 506b you're 
able to have up to 35 non-accredited investors participate. But you work with that investor over time. They grow with you. They trust you. They refer their friends. It's, it's a great business. It's just a great way to grow your book of business. So anyway, I get a little bit passionate about the, the little guy, but uh, that's just me. And I'm, I'm definitely grew up being the little guy so that you hit me right in the feelings there. And, uh, you know, we, we like seeing, you know, people just from all walks of life, like be able to lift up and lift up those around us. And that's, you know, like, I like the idea of the 506B, Uh, you know, obviously there's, there's hoops you got to jump through, but the idea that I can bring in somebody that might not have millions of dollars, you know, it's like, and and give them just at least a start in that, that little bit of freedom that's everybody promises. Like, I mean, the, the million, we love millionaires, but there's smaller people that need a piece of the pie too. And I love helping and educating those people. If you can take a check for 10,000 bucks and, and, you know, help that investor um, gain some knowledge, some confidence, you know, don't be intimidated by asking questions because uh, just because you don't have, you know, a 10 digit make Anyway, we're, we're on the same page. I get it. I totally get it. Uh, Okay. So, um, Actually, just to make a, a another type of pivot, let's fast forward. You got a deal going, and um, you know something. Maybe you get a, you you call the the pit of your tummy feeling, right? What do you do? What advice do you have? Like, if you start to see or detect that a, a deal might be going a little bit off track, like how do you how do you approach that? What's your what's your approach? I don't know. In the, in the world of syndicated deals, when somebody's taken in investor dollars, um, it, you you have some real leverage as the investor. Uh, if the you know the the typical scenario starts to play out where you can't get a phone call back, the syndicator has has a requirement as is prescribed by the 506B or the 506C offering. Uh, you know they have requirements where they've got to stay in in their lane. So let's say, for example, if if, if somebody never saw. A, a private placement memorandum or a subscription agreement, um, and, and and the exemption rules were not followed. Um, that is very very deep and dark water for the syndicator because it's fraud and it's scary. Go, going back to uh, my my years of compliance, would you believe? And and this is how it is. Would you believe that even if you an investor have gone out to buy a condominium, paid cash and you're just going to rent it out. So you haven't raised any capital from anybody else. You haven't borrowed a penny. But if you just go buy a condo for cash, if you do that, you are supposed to register that as an exempt investment. I mean, it's it's bananas. The It's just that's being compliant as an investor. You're supposed to, to register your condo that you've purchased to rent out um, with the SEC and with the state. Um, in the uh, in the series 65 training manual for an individual to become an investment advisor representative, the example that is given, and I kid you not, this I saw this just six years ago, five or six years ago. The example that's given is if you if you go in with another investor to purchase a cow to to sell the milk 
uh, from the cow, you're supposed to register that purchase um, uh, as a private investment. So, so anyway, back to your question. If you're an investor, you didn't see a private placement memorandum, a subscription agreement. If you go to to the website formds.com, and you know this is um, this may be a nugget for for a lot of people today. Formds.com. <clears throat> that's that's a uh, a database that pulls from the SEC's Edgar site and boils down all the intraday filings and it's it's literally live like up to every half hour so if a syndicator files a uh, a notice filing with the sec that they're raising capital for whatever you just go to formds.com and there you go so if you've invested in a private offering you never saw the the documentation with regard to the exemptions go to formsds.com type in the syndicator's name you know it may be that they did not file uh, with the SEC or the states. It's very technical um, to be compliant with these 506B, 506C offer. If you're not getting a call back, and maybe it's been a couple of months, you've tried four, five, six times from the syndicator, you know, go find an attorney and and start to lean on the syndicator um, because it's fraud to to raise capital uh, without following an exemption. Um, another another important piece is let's say you did see the the and I, actually this is very interesting. I saw this just just two years ago. I was presented with an a uh, an investment opportunity. It was a startup software company. And as I'm as I'm reading through the documents, at one point of the document, it it talked about how it was a manager managed LLC. Later in the document, it's talking to me about it's a member managed LLC. Okay, that doesn't make sense. That document was not written by an attorney, or at least it's just not a good document. I'm just I'm just sure that document did not have error and emissions insurance. So if we get into a had I invested, had the ownership group gotten into a snarl either amongst itself or been sued, the attorney's liability insurance is not going to pay for the defense of the asset, you know, the defense of the investment. So so back to your question, and I, Chris, I'm wandering all over the map, Please. Here, but, but I think these are relevant um, components. There's lots of ways for the little guy to hold the big guy who is supposed to be, and I should say big guy or big gal, little guy, little gal. There's ways for all of us to hold the syndicator or, or for us, the syndicator. There's lots of ways that we should be held accountable because it's, it's an investor's hard-earned money. And to just go dark on an investor is completely unacceptable. And don't be shy about having a difficult conversation if you're the investor, because you've got a lot of dry powder and a lot of bullets. And I don't mean to use that inferring that you go out and shoot somebody. Sure. But when it comes to a legal approach uh, of what is likely a very serious situation, you know, the the, the balance has tipped very much so in the investors, uh, to, to the investor's advantage, if something was not followed meticulously. Uh, and, and candidly, if a, a syndicator has misrepresented the opportunities in a situation, which I think happens all the time, I think syndicators just try to get a deal done and they'll, they'll say, they won't just say anything, but they'll grossly uh, exaggerate and, and kind of shy away or minimize um, the negative aspects of a transaction. And, uh, and that is not coming at it from the perspective of the first question being, okay, what's, what, how bad could I get hurt? What could go wrong here? And that really is the first question that investors should begin to consider when they're looking at a private investment. So, um, so to, to concisely answer the question, you know, which is, you know, what do you do if something's going wrong? Consider the legal documents, consider whether the asset 
is um, is uh, protected under the errors and omissions umbrella of an attorney. And if, if either of those two questions result in a no, then the investor really has some leverage. You know, I'd go get some counsel or I'd start to apply some pressure to the syndicator. I'd try to uh, track down the accountant or whoever prepared last year's tax return. Go talk to them. It's not insider information to ask an accountant, hey, I can't get a call back. Can you give me a hand? It's uncomfortable, but it, it's, it's you know, it's important. Yeah, all, all this stuff, all these regulations, everything, they, they're all obviously centered around consumer protection. You know, like you're saying, like going all the way back to going out all the way back to the depression, like, you know, people need to be protected. And I I enjoy the fact, you know, we've talked to a lot of people and, you know, gotten in some deals ourselves. And and I enjoy the uh, the attitude that some of these syndicators have, you know, when they let's just say like they don't just accept anybody just because you have the money to do it. This deal might not be right for you. Whereas like you're saying, you got some people who are really trying really hard. To, we all want to get a deal done. Right. But that's not that shouldn't be like the main focus so much so that you're just trying to take, take, take. And like you're saying, you know, go dark. I think a little bit of, you know, when something starts to go awry or maybe get that weird feeling, uh, I, I don't even know. You know, like you're saying, just start applying that pressure because you got stuff, you got people behind you that uh, are looking out or should be looking out for you. And there's ways to apply that real pressure. That's exactly right. Chris said that's exactly right. Cool. Well, you know, we're, we're starting to run out of time, but, uh, and it's kind of really hard to get too deep into a, a conversation like this, you know, in such a limited amount of time, but I'm actually curious about you and your company, you know, we, um, you know, actually hate bringing up COVID, but I, uh, but I'm curious, you know, like we all, you know, from 2019, we're always planning ahead, setting goals. And so we can achieve and, uh, you know, going into 2020, you know, who knew that this was going to happen. So we had big goals. I'm curious as to like, you know, um, you know, like how have you guys, have you guys had to make any course corrections in what you're doing? Like how is, how has COVID like played into your year? And what does that mean for you guys going into 2021 right around the corner and got a lot of stuff changing even as we speak? I'm just curious what your what your thoughts are on that, your goals. And yeah, that. you know, the, the answer to that is, yeah, you know, every major downturn that I've uh, lived through that I, that I can remember it, you know, who would have thunk it? Um, you know, 1999 to 2002 with the, uh, the dot-com bubble bursting, uh, 2008 to 2012 with, uh, you know, the financial crisis and, and now COVID, um, you know, who would have thought that would happen? So so we're experiencing, uh, very unfortunately, um, a, a surprising turn of events where investors who are, th that used to have a pretty big appetite for the multifamily asset class, you know, they're concerned about the asset um, and the durability of the asset to some degree. I'm not saying that industry is at all in jeopardy, but typically a, um, you know, a less than um, really financially healthy um, person is a tenant in, in a multifamily asset. So the challenge is some folks darn, you know, they're just not able to pay. And, and that is, that's really unfortunate. So investors that used to be really drawn to that, we're, we're, we're feeling the interest um, um, from them. I Would I have guessed, you know, the first part of this year, if you'd asked Scott, our uh, CEO, you know, would he have guessed that would be the case? You know, no. COVID? You know, what is a COVID? Is that right. a Corvette? So, um, yeah. It, Long story short, we're we're surprised by the uh, traffic that we're receiving from investors that are asking for deal flow. Awesome. 
Yeah. Well, cool. Well, we are uh, we are running short on time. Ted, you've been uh, uh, great to talk to. It's really, like I said, it's kind of hard to squeeze in a, a great conversation, you know, within 25 or 30 minutes. But uh, you've brought so much value to me and our listeners. I really want to turn the spotlight on you and just kind of give you a moment to tell us what you got going on, you know, with, you know, to give us anything you like, let the listeners know. Yes. So um, I, I think if I were to, um, you know, speak to high points about Spartan, you know, I, I I really like, I was attracted to Spartan uh, for two reasons. Uh, well, number number one, I've known Ryan for a number of years, but Scott and Ryan, uh, you know, Scott's a, a retired army captain um, and he likes to stress test situations. Um, Ryan is a former uh, commercial airline pilot for Alaska and for Delta, and he's got a checklist for everything, everything. <laughs> We make fun of him for that, um, but but they are fun, enterprising uh, individuals, and we now have 32 employees, and we're very careful about uh, the assets that we uh, pursue. Um, one time, they spent almost $50,000 uh, in due diligence, and because the title was clouded, they spend the money to make sure it's worth doing is, is the point. So so we do self-storage. Uh, we do 506B and 506C. Uh, typically, we do four transactions a year, at least looking backwards. Uh, that's what we've done in the past. Um, you know, so if, if an investor... Uh, it has an appetite and isn't already, you know, filled up in your allocation to storage, you know, we'd sure be interested in talking to you. If you're a fund of funds, um, if you have investors, uh, you know, maybe you've got three or four, you know, key relationships and you can put together a half million dollars or more, we'd be interested in talking to you. Um, it's, it's not Hollywood, <laughs> it's storage. Uh, but we typically will have an eight pref and we target an internal rate of return of 15%. And we like uh, tertiary markets. Um, we have a, a uh, an offering on, uh, it's a 506C. Uh, this is just outside of Bentonville, Arkansas, which is the corporate headquarters for Walmart. 2% demographic growth, a couple of uh, home uh, developments coming into the area just five minutes away. And so, so anyway. The specific deal isn't important. I think the important thing is um, Scott and Ryan are methodical. It permeates the company. It's not a glamorous industry, um, but it's 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 a good industry. Uh, so I think there's good reason to be excited about what Spartan and other operators like Spartan are doing in the, in the world of storage. As unglamorous as storage is, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I uh, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, you know, Scott, it's or Scott, I'm sorry, Ted. It's been uh, really great talking to you, hanging out with you for a little while. Tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you, find out more about you. Uh, yeah, well, uh, thanks for that, Chris. So uh, Spartan is, uh, you can find Spartan on the internet. You can find me, Ted Green, on LinkedIn. Uh, Spartan Investment Group is our company name. Uh, and then Ted Green, I've got an E on the end of Green, and I'm on LinkedIn, and I'm um, I'm the manager of investor relations, and there's three of us. So um, anyway, yeah, we, you know, we'd be eager to, to meet and chat and no expectations. You know, we're just good people working hard. Let's, let's leave it at that. No, the, I, I, uh, those are the type of people that I want to work with, you know. People that people that care about other people, 
good people. That's what we want. Um, you know, I'm gonna I want to make sure that we include all those links in the show um, so everybody can uh, find you conveniently and uh, hook up with you guys. Uh, Ted, it was great having you on the show. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time and uh, just kind of hanging out. And uh, really can't thank you, Chris. Thanks. Yeah, it was fun. I do it again at the drop of a hat. All right. Well, then uh, we'll probably have to drop a hat and uh, bring you back on sometime. So <laughs> you're generous. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, all right. That's pretty much all we have today. Uh, and to our listeners, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we'd really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.